Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad, and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. We've been um, studying the book of Acts now for a few months, but prior to that, um, in April to June of last year, we um, had a series on the marks of a healthy church. Mark. Yep, there we go. Marks of a healthy church, um, in which we did it sort of as a topical, but each one of them were expository messages, and we broke down um, according to the Bible, what a healthy church looks like. And in the midst of that series, um, I shared with what I refer to as the armada of the church, um, the four ships of the church, if you would, worship, discipleship, um, fellowship, and stewardship. And as we've come through the beginning phase then of um, this book of Acts, we've seen those four marks of a healthy church being portrayed by the early church. That in Acts 2 and Acts 4 specifically, clearly, we see how in the midst of their worship, they were discipling one another because they were continuing in the the doctrine of the apostles. But then they fellowship with one another as well. And we saw in that fellowship, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, that the two groupings within fellowship were unity and community. And then within the unity, they, they stayed together in a doctrine, but then with community, they saw the needs of one another. And so they were, they were coming and they were selling their property and bringing it and laying it at the feet of the elders in order for the elders then to distribute to the church as anyone had need. And then that leads into stewardship. And that is understanding not just stewarding of our money, but stewarding of the word of God as well, that they were good stewards of the stuff that God had given to them. And as we've now come through this book of Acts, we've seen how... The, the gospel has been starting to be then spread, okay? It's gone from Jerusalem and all Judea into Samaria, and now we're, we're seeing how it's moving into the uttermost part of the world. Last week, we talked about um, Peter 
taking it to Cornelius, that he was the one who was going to open it up to the, to the Gentiles. But today we're going to begin transitioning over to Saul of Tarsus. And Saul, Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul, right? And so Paul, we understand, is going to be that individual who will be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so today is that transition moment. How does it happen that way? So we're told right off the bat that as the, the um, disciples are, are scattering, they make it as far as Antioch. Now, what's fun about this little bitty portion to me um, in this concept of the church of Antioch is that we're going to see in this church of Antioch, as the gospel spreads, and now it's spreading into Gentile territory, that the church which is established will be a, a mirror, if you would, will be a, a, a representation of what was going on in Jerusalem. That when God is at work in individuals, that this style of gatherings, that this um, idea, these marks of a vibrant church, of a healthy church, are going to be revealed. Okay, And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at three of them, because worship specifically isn't here, although it's laced all through it, right? But discipleship, fellowship, stewardship, they're all in this passage, very uh, flamboyantly seen. And so that's what we want to look at today. And the first thing we want to look then at is the, the concept of discipleship. And if you remember, there are two aspects, two phases of discipleship, okay? Jesus said in Matthew 28, okay, part of the, what we call the Great Commission, was to go out and make disciples. Not make converts, but go and make disciples, right? And then there was two phases of how you make it. Well, the first phase, you could say there's three, because really the first phase is what? Going. You got to go. You got to be willing to do it, okay? And we're going to talk about that a little bit later with the opening up your mouth, but you got to be willing. But actually in the concept of making disciples, there are two facets. What's the first one? Based upon Jesus' uh, great commission. Go out and make disciples. What was the first thing? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. First of all, you have to evangelize. You have to make converts. Okay? So you've got to be able to open up your mouth, and that's the first thing we're going to look at is evangelism. Okay? You've got to be able to open up your mouth. But the second thing is after you evangelize them, you have to teach them. Okay? And so we see that happening here in Antioch, just as we saw it happening in Jerusalem, because the first thing that Peter and the other apostles did, right, on Pentecost was open up their mouth, right, and they evangelized all the Jews who were there for Pentecost, and we're told at the end, the result of that was that 3,000 souls were saved, and then what did they do? They hung out with the apostles and continued in the apostles' teaching, doctrine, that's exactly right, so there was discipleship, the, the follow-on, the training the edification side, which we'll talk about in a moment, that was still going on. But here, we see that the, the believers, as a part of their life, evangelized. Well, where did they evangelize? Wherever they were. As they traveled, as they went, they, they opened up their mouth and they told people about Christ. So in, when they got to Antioch, and they began to open up their mouth and they began to tell everybody, they began to evangelize. Well, specifically, we're then told, who did they evangelize? Well, they evangelized first and foremost, the who? The Jews. Why? Think about it. Why? Say again? Well, the gospel was first to the Jews, but they didn't know that Paul wasn't, hadn't read it yet. Because they were Jews. That's exactly right. They were Jews. And so the, the first thing is you're going to go to your, your people, right? The, the ones that you're comfortable with. That's why the second group is the Hellenists. 
Okay? So if you remember the term Hellenist, okay, did that talk about Greeks or not? Hellenists, were they Greeks? They were Jews who were Greekified. That's right. That's right. They were Greekified. And so they were Hellenized, okay? And so they were cultured um, in, the, in the Greek culture, okay? So not necessarily Gentiles. But then the next phase was, and we're not told here specifically that, okay? But we know it from, the, the, from Antioch, that they also then went to the Gentiles. The gospel also went to them as well. And so they began to open up to whoever, first of all, the ones they were comfortable with, but then they began to go beyond that, okay? And so what did they do? Well, first of all, they spoke, laleo, okay? They opened up their mouth, okay? Now, it doesn't say that specifically, but I think it's kind of fun that we saw that with Philip, right? He went over to the chariot, and he opened up his mouth and began to speak. For Peter, he got to Cornelius' house, and he what? He opened up his mouth and began to speak. The first step of evangelism is you have to open up your mouth. Now, I get lifestyle evangelism. I get friendship evangelism. I get all these things. But people don't get saved only by looking at your life. People don't get saved because you're their buddy. They don't get to go to heaven because they're friends with you. They don't get to go to heaven because they see you living a righteous life. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You have to be able to speak. Laleo. You have to open up your mouth. You have to talk. Okay? Well, I don't feel comfortable doing it. I don't, it doesn't, I don't care. I, I, I mean, you're not pleasing me anyway. You're not going to stand before my throne. But you get what I'm saying? I mean, it's what we talk about all the time. It, it, it's, I don't really care what you think. You shouldn't care what I think. You should only care what God's word says. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're called to go out and make disciples. We do that by opening up our mouth. Well, what did they do when they spoke? Well, they evangelized, okay? Well, that's literally why I put it up here as well, okay? This is the Greek word, and literally it's evangelize. Ungaliatio, ungaliatio, okay? So angel, angel, what you think of as the word angel is actually a Greek word, okay? And it means message, messenger, okay? And so u, to us means bad, to Greeks means good, okay? And so that's a good message. They proclaimed a good message message to the people the only way you're going to do this is if you believe what well you believe the good message but you believe the message is well not just true good make sense i mean if you don't think this is good news you're not going to want to tell it to people because it's kind of confrontational right but if it's good news if it's a good message if you're i mean so that's like saying to me because you know I didn't even realize this rule was tonight until Jimmy said that. I don't really care, you know, whatever. But years ago, when the Steelers were in it, of course I cared. And, um, but we met on Sunday night, so I'd have somebody videotaping it. And I didn't want anybody, what? To tell me anything, anything about it. I remember the one year my neighbor copied it for me, and he brought it over. He says, oh, I'll just tell you one thing. I said, don't tell me anything. He's not, not going to end the way you think it does. And I'm thinking, ugh, that's awful. That's bad news. Why would you even tell? Because now I'm going through, and I'm, 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 I'm torn. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to win. They're gonna, I'm, but I'm awful. It's not going to end like I think it's going to end. And so I, I know I have good message, good news. I have a good message to tell people. God came to the earth to do what? To, save, to die for them, to pay the penalty of their sins, so that they could be with him for all of eternity. 
I mean, that's pretty good news. That's pretty cool news. If I really believe it, I'll open my mouth and I'll tell people that. That's the first thing. So evangelism. So they went out and they did it. What happened? What was the end result of that? The hand of the Lord was with them. A great number believed. Do you get it? If you're praying for revival, if you're praying for a great awakening, if you're praying for souls to be saved, but you're refusing to open up your mouth, why do you expect an answer? Jesus said, the fields are widened to harvest. It's just lacking laborers. So what? So pray that the Lord will what? Send forth laborers. But we don't do that. Why? Let's be honest. Because we're animistic. And we believe that if we pray that prayer, we might have to go. That's exactly right. That God's going to say us, tell us to go. And we don't want to. We're really comfortable with our life the way it is right now. That I might be happy to be the one who tells people that good message that maybe I really don't believe is good because I think people are not going to like me and I want people to like me. They opened up their mouth and they gave a good message. And God added to the church. Do you get it? You didn't add to the church. They didn't add to the church. They didn't save anybody. God saved them. But God chooses to use us in that work. We've got to do it. Secondly, news of these things came to the ear of the church in Jerusalem. Again, they don't got Twitter. They haven't got um, any of these things. It's not email or whatever. But people are talking about what's going on in Antioch. Are people talking about what's going on in Martinez? I mean, again, I don't want to beat myself or beat you, okay? But there are patches like this that make me think. Do people talk about the change of your life? Do they see it? Are they amazed by it? Not that they need to be amazed by you. They need to be amazed by God. But that's the opportunity for you to be able to witness. Does that make sense? When people always want to comment about my kids or whatever, I always want to bring it back to God. This is what God's doing. People want to talk, so like this week, someone was talking about my church. It's not my church. And, you know, well, now you're full-time, boy, that means a success. No, it doesn't mean success. That means God is just blessing. It's all about God. But it gives me an opportunity to go back to God and to go back to what Jesus has done. Does that make sense? There's an excitement, though, that goes on amongst believers when God is what? At work. When God's at work. So I just want to challenge you with that. Are you opening up your mouth? Are you sharing the good message? Are we seeing people saved? Are you seeing people saved? Is a church in America seeing people saved? Do we see a great awakening? Do we see a great revival? Are we living it out? Are people talking like this is exciting things? Or are they mocking us? Secondly, then there was edification. After they went... And, and they began to, to do this. And that message got all the way back to Jerusalem. The elders of Jerusalem sent who? Barnabas. Now, stop for a moment and realize that everything I've talked to you about so far all happened before what? 
official representation from Jerusalem was there. God was already adding to the church. Do you understand? The, wor- wor- the world was talking. If we were talking about the Thessalonians, um, from First Thessalonians, we could talk about how Paul talked about the Thessalonians, that even in Achaia, they were talking about all what was going on in Thessalonica at the time, okay? Because how the people were, were getting saved and how they were being changed, Okay? So before there was any representation from the elders, the leaders of Jerusalem, before there was any real, you know, clergy coming, this was all going on in Antioch. They received the word, they were preaching. So lest you think this is my church, it's not my church. If I died on the way this morning, maybe I was at my house even, and didn't even get on the way, what would happen? Would you all continue to meet? Would, would someone be able to stand up and, and, and teach God's word? What would have happened? Would you end it after testimony time? Would there have been more than just those testimonies? You all have to be, and I'm not picking on you. I'm, I'm really not. But I just want to encourage you. That you don't need some trained clergy to do the work. Ephesians 4, which we'll talk about in a moment, is all about the church doing the work of the ministry. The, the job of the, the leaders, again, we'll talk about this in one moment because it's going to be Barnabas, okay, is only to equip the saints to do it. That's it. And then it's up to the saints to do it. So when Barnabas came, what did he do? Well, first he was excited, right? So he's all happy and, and everything would happen. But he encouraged them. Does anybody care to... To, to, to guess what that word for encouragement is? It's parakaleo, okay? So some of you understand that's the paraclete, like the um, Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. And when we talked from 2 Corinthians a couple years ago, we, went, we talked about that word a lot, okay? Because it's the word, it's translated consolation there in 2 Corinthians 1. But it literally means to exhort or to encourage. Or more specifically, literally, para means alongside, and kaleo is to call. It literally means to call alongside. So you're exhorting or you're encouraging somebody. You're putting courage into them. You're, you're exhorting them to, to continue to do better, okay? So Barnabas encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should what? Continue in the Lord, okay? They already started, and, and they were continue on. But if they were real... Then Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 is there, right? He who began the good work in you will what? Will continue it to the day of Christ, okay? So he exhorted them to continue on with what they're doing. And then as a result of his encouraging of them, this is kind of fun, what happened? A great many people were added to the Lord. So there were already people being added to the Lord before he got there, and now he gets there, and he begins to do what? Encourage them to do what? To keep going on. Keep doing it. And as a result, what happened? A whole lot more people were saved. But again, it took the whole body being involved in the process. Barnabas didn't go, and all of a sudden, Barnabas went out evangelizing everybody, and people got saved. He just went and encouraged them to keep doing what they were already doing, right? But then he saw there was a need, right? So he he knew that they needed to grow, Okay, and so I was reread in um, 
uh, Hebrews, the end of chapter 5, going into chapter 6, but the end of chapter 5, it says, by this time you ought to be, anybody know? I heard somebody say it. Teachers. By this time you ought to be teachers. But I have a need to come back and give you milk again. It ought not to be so, brethren. And that's exactly what is going on. So he realizes, some conjecture, Barnabas might be the writer of Hebrews. Some conjecture could be Paul, whatever. But, but anyways, but it fits along with Barnabas at this moment, right? Because Barnabas realizes at this moment, it's not good for these people to be ignorant. Paul says that a lot in his writings. Remember, Barnabas is Paul's mentor. I wonder how many um, sayings of Paul actually attribute back to Barnabas. It's kind of interesting. You know, we, we don't think about that, but... Barnabas was the guy that mentored Paul. And so after they split, how much of what did Barnabas put into Paul that he continues to speak? Anyways, but he didn't want him to be ignorant. So he went to Tarsus to get the persecutor of the church. Isn't this fun? Who once was the persecutor of the church, but now is going to be a proponent of the church, an instructor of the church a teacher of the church this is fun stuff to me so he goes to tarsus he gets saul and he brings them back and then we're told is john here today oh, in the back john remember we talked nope oh, sorry john webster so we talked remember about weeks months whatever time frame okay here you got a concrete time now it's going to let us know that it was actually a longer period of time than what was everything that was going on fast before and so we're told then for a whole year now, so you got a couple verses, but what's happening? A whole year of time, okay? Barnabas goes, and now Barnabas and Saul spend a year in Antioch doing some teaching, okay? Now, I don't know whether they met every day. I don't know whether they met once a week. I don't know how they met. But the intent of this, from my perspective, is that they did some intensive teaching and that people wanted it and that people were willing to come and they were willing to, to dedicate all this time in order to learn, in order to be trained. So in Sunday school, the last two weeks, we've been going over Jehovah Witness. Okay? This morning we began looking at witnessing to the witnesses. Okay? Um, and so I was encouraged um, when Abby was just excited about what, what we're doing because she felt like she'd never had that before. Okay? You've got to be willing to study, and I'm not picking on Abby, I'm excited about what Abby, but this goes for everybody else, okay? You've got to be willing to be able to do this. You've got to be willing to study and to be able to be, then be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you, right, kids? Yeah? Okay, that's what we talk about all the time. That's the, the, key, of, the key verse of our, of our kids' club, okay? That we need to be ready to always give an answer for the hope that's within us, to everyone who asks us. And so, so to be ready to, to speak God's word, at the moment's notice, okay? So they were being trained, okay? And it affected so much. So look at this. For a whole year, this is going on. And it worked such a, such a work in that church that they were started to be called what? Okay, we see the word Christian. What does it mean? Little Christs. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, if you claim to be his disciple, then you will want to operate, walk, live by his teachings. Does that make sense? Okay. So 
my mind, Saul Alinsky. So I've talked about this at different times, okay? But some of you know the name Saul Alinsky. How many of you got know, know Saul Alinsky? Okay, Joseph, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you know a disciple of Saul Alinsky? You do. Not coming to your head. Jonathan? Good, good. Uh, uh, Barack Obama, okay? Somebody else? I heard somebody else. Hillary Clinton, okay? So we could go on, okay? But those individuals studied the writings of Saul Alinsky. So you say, who's Saul Alinsky? Don't worry about it right now, okay? But the fact is, he was, a, he was an activist, okay, who was in prison, and he wrote a lot of books, okay? And what you're seeing happening in our country today is a direct result of his teachings. It's an amazing thing. Because his disciples lived it out and are living it out and are changing the world. Is that fun? Is that exciting? No, because you're saying, ah, but you know what? If Jesus' disciples lived it out and they really believed in it, just like it changed the world, it can change the world. But I got to ask myself, do I care more about the world? Do I, do I care more about the Reformation? Transformation. Do I care more about the, what God is doing? Anyways, the disciples were first called Christians. It was a mocking term, actually, in the beginning. They're a bunch of little Christs. Because they looked like Jesus. And so people made fun of them. But that's okay. That's a good, good badge of honor to wear. What's the second part then? Fellowship. Well, in this fellowship then, so you got this church of Antioch, right? And so they're, 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 they're telling people about Christ. They're being trained. They're being taught by, by Barnabas and Saul, okay? And they're being equipped now with the word of God. But in that then, they're becoming unified around this doctrine. And the first thing we see is the evidence of this unity is in that unity of purpose in the ministry. And so Ephesians 4 I have up there, we're told that Paul gave, or Paul, God, sorry, God, not Paul. God gave some apostles, some evangelists. Um, I missed one. God gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints into the work of the ministry, into the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come as one new man. God's purpose for the church is for us to come as one new man into the image of Christ. And he's going to do it through all of us, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's why he places you in the body, so that you can minister to others within the body, right? But specifically, he gives some specific gifts to the body to train, for teaching, for equipping, okay? And so there are the apostles, okay? So big A apostles, Peter, John, James, right? Little A apostles are those that are official representatives of the church, okay? But apostles, prophets, who we're going to talk about in a moment, Agabus, right? Some evangelists, okay, clearly they were in the, in, the, in the church already, and some pastors, teachers, who is Saul and Barnabas. Do you see how this is playing together? Okay, and they were unified in this. There was no jealousy. When Agabus comes from Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas don't shut him off. Saul and Barnabas, he's not Paul yet. They don't shut him off. Hey, 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 it's our church now. Our, our church, they, 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 uh, they ordained us. They brought us in. They voted us in. We're on staff here. You got to wait. 
Now, I get it, because we're told we've got to be careful of what? Laying hands on somebody too quickly, false teachers, okay? Workers of the devil that come in, okay? Paul warned us that. We saw that in Sunday school, Acts 20, right? That after I leave, grievous wolves may come in seeking, you know, to bring disciples after themselves. So I get that. There's a, there's a period of trust that has to be built, okay? And so probably Barnabas already knew Agabus because he was from Jerusalem, okay? But when he came, it was just another part of the what? The ministry. Because it wasn't their church. It's what God was doing in Antioch. Do you track with that? Okay? And so it's important. You got Barnabas and Saul, who were the shepherds, and you got prophets coming from Jerusalem, okay? And so um, Agabus now stands up, and, and he makes a proclamation, doesn't he? Right? And the proclamation is that there's going to be a what? There's going to be a famine, okay? We'll talk about that famine in just a moment, okay? So the evidence of the community then which we're going to talk about more in just a moment when we get to stewardship, because that's when it's going to play out, okay? Is the new believers saw the situation of the church in Judea as their own. So when Agabus specifically states what was going to go on, and he talked about how the church of Jerusalem, Judea, was going to be affected, then the people took what was going to go on in Judah to themselves. Rejoice with those who what? Rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Okay? When there is turmoil in the church, whether locally or globally, we should all feel it. I rejoice in the Lord for Miss Nancy. Every time we pray, Miss Nancy reminds us of what? One, two, three. You all know it. Persecuted church, persecuted Christians. Miss Nancy's the one, I mean, God is using Miss Nancy to continually remind us of that. That the church is being persecuted. There are believers in prison today who might even lose their life for the name of Jesus. And the church in the United States cares more about what we're going to sing today. What kind of chairs are we going to have to sit on? Are we going to have enough lighting? I hope there's a drive-through. We don't have drive-through, right? <laughs> because it's raining, and I don't want to get rained on when I when I walk in the building. And just we 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 have these things wrong, but there is this desire on their part, which we're going to talk about in a moment, which is so exciting to me. And so they have this sense of community. The word communion or community is the Greek word. Anybody remember? Good job. Say it louder, Steve. Koinonia. Okay. Koinonia, and literally, for me, it's the word camaraderie, okay? That it's all for one and one for all, okay? That's the idea, that we know that we're in this thing together, and that nothing that I have belongs to me, but it belongs to the Lord, and if he wants to use it to minister to you, then it's more yours than it is mine, okay? That leads us then into the stewardship phase, Okay? And first of all, we see the need, okay? And so there was going to be this famine. We just talked about it. But generally, we're told that it's a worldwide famine, okay? And I want you to think about what's being stated here, okay? This is important, okay? There's going to be a worldwide famine, okay? Now, just to state, the, to finish out the concept of a, of a prophecy, um, there is also a statement in here to let us know that what? The prophecy what? Was fulfilled, okay? That's important, Okay? And it happened during the days of Claudius Caesar. 
okay? So we're, we're told that this wasn't just this random prophecy, okay? So Agabus puts out this prophecy that there's going to be this worldwide famine. But note the application of it only specifically to the church of Judea. The church didn't see it as their responsibility to feed everyone in the world. Are you tracking with me on this one? The world wants to give us a bad rap, and they want to put a pressure on us to change the message of the gospel to the social gospel, and that the purpose of the church should be to feed the poor. It's not the purpose of the church. It may be a tool that we use to evangelize, to evangelize the lost. They have a need, and I'm going to seek to meet the need. But ultimately, instead of giving them fish all the time, I'm going to try to teach them how to fish so they can do it for themselves. But the biggest need that they have is what? Jesus. That's exactly right. It's not that they have food, and then they die and they go to hell. That's awful. The biggest need they have. Now, if I ignore their need then they're usually going to turn a deaf ear to the message I have. Okay? So again, I use it as a toll. However, we're told in God's word that we are to um, minister to our own families. And if someone will not take care of their own family, then they're worse than a, an unbeliever, an infidel. Okay? That's exactly right. So the church, when you get to know, come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior... Galatians chapter 4 says that you also are what? You're adopted into God's family. And so as I look around, and I'm going to assume for a moment that you all know Jesus as your Savior. That's between you and God, right? If you are, you are my brothers and my sisters. I'm not above you. You're not below me. You're not above me. I'm not below you. We are all one and the same. We're brothers and sisters. We're brethren and cisterns. Sorry, I always like to do that one. Anyways, you're not cisterns. So anyways, but we're all brothers and sisters in Jesus. We're family. Why do we want it to make it look like it's a, a business? Because that's our culture. And we allow our culture to change who we are. But we're family, okay? And so if there's a need... If you really are my, so I'm going to pick on Brian. Your blood now, blood family, not spiritual family. Not psh, spiritual family, your blood family. If Brian, blood family, has a need, what am I going to do? He's blood. Come on. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to meet the need. If he's got a heart, if he's having a heart attack, what am I going to do? I'm going to be there. My dad, my dad is, you know, who knows how long he'll live, right? But when he had the fall, when we found out that it wasn't just his little fall, we were told because we were out camping and they didn't want us to, to ruin our camping trip. You know, when I came back and I found out it really was a, a, a fall and that he almost died. And I mean, we instantly, I don't know who all was back at that time, but we left. Boom, we're gone. Why? Because he's blood. Because he's my dad. Do you get it? If you're really my brother and my sister, if I really believe that, then what? Boom, I'm gone. I'm there. Does it make sense? That's why I always tell you, look, call me. You have my cell phone number. Call me. If I'm in the middle of something, it's going to be the same way it was with Marsha. If I'm in the middle of something, I'm probably not going to answer it, depending on where it's at. Marsha, I'll probably answer for. Makes sense? Because it's, it's a big deal. But, 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 because she knows my schedule. 
Does that make sense? But generally, if you call me, this all plays out. If I'm, if I'm in marital counseling or something, I'm not going to answer the phone. Okay? If you call me a second time, immediately, it says this is a trick. That tells me what? It's important. I'm going to answer it. I'm going to say, excuse me, this must be important. And I'm going to turn around, I'm going to answer it. At nighttime, if you need to talk to me, don't text me. My phone is out in the dining room. Because I'll wake up with the bink, bink, bink. And I don't want to be waking up with that bink. Okay? Especially when people get on these group text things and everything. Bink, 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 bink. It's like, <sighs> And I'm going to put it on do not disturb. And I don't want to put it on do not disturb for a very important reason. If you have an emergency, I want you to call me. I don't care what time of the day it is, what time of the night it is. I'll hear that because it'll, it'll ring continually and I'll hear it in my bedroom. If I don't, f- forgive me, call me again. <laughs> my dog will start howling now. Anyways, and so it'll wake me up. I want to know. Does that make sense? It's that important. I've had to work on that one, y'all. I mean, I'm honest with the fact that I'm very self-centered and I'm very tunnel-visioned, okay? And so I have to put on the mind of Christ, and I have to remind myself continually that your needs and your value is more important than mine. That's how you have to live. So our, our church from family camp a couple of years ago, right? Self plus less equals others. Self plus less equals others. They got that. They got it. They're new believers, but they got it. And they're willing to take then what they have in order to minister to the church. So the gift. Literally, that verse states, Now the disciples, according to each one's good station, they determined each one in service to send to the brethren living in Judea. I like the word service. That's the word diakonia. That's there. Not, um, what does is, what is each of the versions say? Um, even New King James says it. Um, relief. Relief. <laughs> That's nothing to do with relief. It has everything to do with ministry. And so they're going to minister. They're going to see themselves as servants, is the idea. They're going to serve. They're going to, they're going to become servants of the church in Judea. Okay? And so, first of all, it was according to their liberty. They each determined on, the, on their own to do this. There was no coercion. They weren't passing the plate. <laughs> I know of a church up in the Philadelphia area, many, 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 many years ago, they would have their missions conference. And I understand I'm from Pittsburgh. Okay? I'm from Pennsylvania. So this is kind of fun for me. And so they had this big mission barrel. It was like one of those old oil drums. And they'd roll it down the center aisle. And as they did, they'd be singing, Roll out the barrel. Anyways, <laughs> that's a nice polka. But they changed the words because it was a mission thing. But it still had the polka. Come on. Anyways, it was a lot of fun. So they'd roll out the, the barrel, the mission barrel. And they weren't allowed to leave till the barrel was full. People brought a whole lot of ones to, to blot up. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, you can't lay those ones flat because there's a whole lot of money can fit in those, that barrel, right? So they, they, would, they would wad them up and throw them in and, when it showed. Anyways, none of that. None of that. No coercion. None, none of this, you know, passing a plate or for, making people feel bad if they don't give. Okay? Each one, they heard it. And they each made the decision that they want to be actively involved in it. And so, what did they do then? According to their ability. According to each one's good station. That's a, 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 such a neat word. It's only used here, okay? And it's u peru is the idea. And so, I've already told you that the word u means what? 
Good, okay? And peruomai is one of the words, there's a couple synonyms, words, but it means to go, to travel, to go. They're just going. So it's good traveling, good going, okay? In their good going, okay? So they just, as life was happening, okay, as God had blessed them in their good going, they saw what they had and they said, what? Clearly God didn't give this to me for me. God gave this to me to give to minister somebody else. They're going to have a need. I've got more than I need. And so God is revealing, understand, when did the giving happen right now? Did the giving happen after the famine or before the famine? Before the famine. Before the famine. Does that make you kind of wiggle a little bit for a moment? They heard this prophecy and they really believed it. And they started selling their stuff and they started giving their stuff to send it to Judea. So that when the famine happened, there would already be funds there to take care of the church of Judea. Now, I think, why did the church of Judea? Because it's much bigger. That's the one where you got thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that are, that are there, okay? And probably a lot of need, okay? And so, but they willingly did that. They took what was, what we would think is the ours, and they willingly gave it. So, in the end... Do you believe that God can use us to have a mighty impact? Ah, miss my why. A mighty impact in our community, in our state, and or even in our world. Is God able to do that? Is he able to take us and to use us worldwide for his kingdom's glory? If so, if you say, yeah, 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 sure, sure. That's the book answer because you're in church. So the next question is what? What part are you willing to play? What are you willing to do for that to be, be so? If God added to the church, if God multiplied the church when the people started opening up their mouth and they began to witness, are you willing to do it? That's the first step. Are you willing to open up your mouth and are you willing to witness? Whether or not it comes out right, whether or not you do it great according to your own understanding and ability, it doesn't matter. When a Jehovah Witness comes to your door, don't close the door in their face. Don't do it. All you're doing is adding to their witness, to the trainee. I mean, that's the first step. Somebody comes to your door and wants to give you a lie. You have the truth. You should be able to give them the truth. And if you can't, I don't know why you weren't here the last two weeks in Sunday school. And you should ought to be here next week in Sunday school because that's what we're talking about. Okay? So, can I be straight? I'm, I'm Bob, just take off the jacket and be right with you, okay? Don't ever tell me that you really want to when you don't come to things like that. We had care groups on evangelism to teach people how to evangelize. And when you don't come to be trained on it, and you know it's going to happen, and you purposely don't come, don't ever tell me, but I want it. No, you don't, because we did it, and you weren't there. Sorry. That's just Bob being real, okay? And so... It's offered. It's there for you to learn from, okay? Are you willing to play your part? That means it's going to take you time. It's going to take you effort. You're going to not be able to do other things, okay? I mean, tonight we're going to have a care group. Like I said, I don't even know. We don't operate around the Super Bowl, okay? So we're going to have a care group. We're going to talk about it. Now, I'm not saying you can't stay at home and watch the Super Bowl, but I'm saying I'm just, but I am being honest. I'm be straight. Which is more important to you? You got you to, there's hard decisions in life you're going to make. We don't, do hunt, we don't do Halloween in my house. Why? Because I wanted my kids to learn all the time 
that there was a separation and that we don't do the things. The world doesn't drive what we do, especially when it becomes a satanic holiday, that we're not going to participate in it. Well, they're going to miss getting the candy. Yeah, they are. That's okay. There's a lot of things in life I miss. But they're not for me. I'm a child of God, not a child of the world. Sorry, I'm on my soapbox. I'm moving on. How do you measure up individually in the areas of discipleship, fellowship, and stewardship? You, individually. When you're talking about all these things, discipleship, so evangelism, edification, fellowship, being a part of the assembly, the unity, the community, and then stewardship, the giving of your funds and the giving of your time and the giving of other things for the kingdom of God's sake. How do you measure up? But for us as a whole, the question then is, how do we measure up as a church? What are areas that we need to improve in? There are areas which we need to improve in. If we didn't need to improve, then we'd be what? We'd be perfect. That's exactly right. Okay? So the reality is I know that. I'm not, I'm not, hey, we are it, baby. Everybody needs to compare themselves to us. That's not the case. We fall short, like everybody else does, collectively as a whole. What are areas that we need to improve upon? It's okay. And, and I'm okay with hearing it. Doesn't mean that if you tell me something, it's, things are instantly going to change. Doesn't mean if you tell David or Steve or Chuck something, it's instantly going to change. But I want to hear that when people leave our church and go someplace else, I want to know why. It doesn't mean it's going to change immediately for them. But if I hear the same thing five or six times, there's probably what? There's something to that that I need to what? I need to pay attention to. So this, this being straight, okay? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are doing the work of your church, that you use us in that, Lord, and that you have things that you reveal in us uh, individually, but then as a a collective body, Lord, that there are things that are just going to be seen in us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would do that inner searching from that perspective, and before you, we would be asking you, Lord, that you would reveal to us the areas in which we individually but then collectively fall short of the mark that you have set before us. Lord, help us to, to, to reveal you to this community that we live in, to the neighbors around us, Lord, to each of our individual neighborhoods, Lord, to, um, to the Augusta region, Lord, even to the southeast and into the world, Lord, that we would have an impact for your glory, not for our own glory, Lord, that it doesn't come to Family Bible Church Martin is, but Lord, that it comes to you and that your name is magnified, that your name is glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.